following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 850 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, as I always am, and I'm joined today, as I always am, by the lovely, talented, and indeed scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Well, we're officially filming the podcast, and I would just like to give you some props for dressing up. Look at you, really putting in work. What do you mean? What's wrong with this? How long did it take you to put this outfit together? You don't... You know, let's show everyone. You know, this like, is this is what's going on with this elbow. This needs some Aquaphor. Would you quit? You, well, this what's with this critique? Well, this is also a skincare episode, so uh, it's my favorite hoodie. It's your favorite hoodie. It's covered in holes. Covered in holes. I got this hoodie. If you do, you remember? Well, of course I remember because this is about to be attack time on on me. Why would it be attack? Because you got it at Disneyland. Yeah, well, why I, would that be an attack? Because I didn't bring a jacket. Oh, that's right. That is right. <laughs> I forgot about that. I didn't bring a jacket when it was very cold. Well, Southern California, Disneyland, and in November. Yeah. And like you do even here in Washington, D.C., you do a thing where you don't want to wear a jacket. I wore a coat that ended up being your coat. <laughs> it did. It but did. also it rained. I think that was the deal. It rained, so it made it extra cold. Yes. And then I bought this hoodie. How long ago was this? <laughs> uh, probably. 13 years? 12 years? I had a 10 years. 10 years, probably. So it's it's seen better days. Yes. My elbow pokes through. I must have real sharp elbows. No, I think it's, it's, it's the aquaphor. <laughs> um, oh, it's the rough elbow. Maybe the elbow's rough because there's a hole here. Yes. And it's exposed to the elements. Okay, the other way around. So I do have, I have a sweater in this chair next to me in case I get cold. So I guess the thing about me not wearing a jacket is true. But uh, what'd you, you didn't dress up. You got an Earth, Wind, and Fire t shirt on. I, it was just, it was a segue to be able to shit on you. Oh, and your, you don't need a your segue. Holy, your holy sweatshirt. Nice. So I do want to talk about Sweepy, though, because we're discovering a new trait about her. Sweepy, of course, is our one-year-old English bulldog. Barely one-year-old. Barely one-year-old. Her birthday was, was January 31st. And she is starting to be sneaky. And I was going to say mischievous, but actually sneaky's Eve, it's more accurate. Well, I'm kind of the list here. She's being sneaky. She's being mischievous. She's being um, manipulative. She's like learning these <laughs> these dark traits and she is becoming like a little kid when they start realizing they can do bad stuff and they can like hide it and get away with it. That's what she's starting to do. She will find things that she knows she's not supposed to chew on, that are not supposed to be in her mouth, and she will sneak away quietly. You know, it's one of those things where it's too quiet, where is the dog or where is the kid? Yeah, it's That's happening with her, where when it's too quiet, we know that she has gotten a hold of something and is chewing it and doing nad dog things. Well, I... I came down the other day in the studio. Yeah. Because she has free roam in the house. I come down to the studio. She's she's in her bed, and I can, like, she's a dumb dog, so she doesn't know I can hear sound travels. <laughs> if, my, if I'm not directly looking at her, yeah. I can still see her and know what's going on. Yeah. And she's chewing on what ended up being, like, a little plastic baggie that some screws came in because... The studio is finally put together and, you know, everything that you have to put together now, no furniture comes assembled. You have to put it together. There were little screws that came in a bag. Yeah. And she must have eyed that bag and absconded with it. <laughs> and then uh, she, w- when she saw me notice her, she stopped chewing, put her chin on top of it. And to like, hide it. Hi. What? Hi, guy. How are you? Like, <laughs> stop chewing. 
to conceal that she had it. More like, is there something? Was it something happening? Is there something that you? Is there something that you need? Is there yeah. something that you realized was happening? Here? And then I just snatched it. And, but she did the same thing today with yeah. a piece of styrofoam. Apparently, we just have a cluttered, messy home. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's part of moving. It's part of setting up the new studio. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. part of getting everything up and running, which is which has been a process. But we're finally to the point where we are back to two episodes a week here on I Doubt It. We are recording video versions of the podcast, which is something we've talked about doing a lot. We've done it a few times over the years, but this is going to be something that we do regularly now yeah and we are going to start having guests in here this is a place where we want to have people in have them on for on-camera interviews and really start growing the operation here is the goal let me say this to the audience we've got we've got a wish list of people we want to have in on Mm -hmm. the show Mm -hmm. um about 95 percent of them live in dc so it's going to be easy you know we have a whole congress filled with dum-dums that we want to have on and filled with non dum dums. Well, it's a joke. It's <laughs> it's a term of endearment. Well, let's I'm not, a dum dum. Let's not insult the people we desperately want to be on the show. Um, but we want to throw it out to the audience. What would your wish list be? Yeah, we, we want to hear from you about what guests you'd like, whether they be in DC or not. I mean, a lot of people who would be of note travel. You know, doing speaking, whatever they might be in town, we can have them in. We've yeah. we've got a few people we've touched base with. They're going to be coming into town in April and. Anyway, we want to hear from you, for sure. Um, 657-464-7609. And, of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Now, um, before we get any further in the show, let's read some listener communication. Yes. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Jesse. Even though I am not from the USA, but from Germany, I enjoy listening to your podcast. First, Very good. First things first, though, I was encouraged to do a colonoscopy through you. Thank you very much. This is a very important topic. Of course, referring to the colon cancer that Jesse had. I think, by the way, March, I think, is like colorectal screening month or colon cancer awareness month. I should probably look it up while you're continuing to read the email. Okay. All right. There's, There's a little hint there. But now here is my real question that concerns me very much. It seems that there is no political discourse and especially no political self-cleansing in the USA. What do you think is the reason for that? How is it possible that an ex-president without any social skills and without the necessary grace for such an office, not to mention a violent coup initiated, is even considered as a candidate? How is it that fucking lunatics like MTG, Boebert, at all, at least, do not face political consequences for their statements and actions. Should there not much more talk about how to uphold the political discourse and why Dems are not doing enough? I fear that the fascist developments in the U.S. are bringing us all to the brink of humanity. Keep up the good work and best regards from Germany, Stephen. And there is also... Some writing in German, which I will not be attempting to read. So I'm sorry if uh, that was sorry if that was the goal. You think he's trying to bait you into trying to read German? I don't know, but listen, just because I was raised by Nazis does not mean that I instinctively know how to read German. Okay. No offense, Stephen. Of course, the German. Of course, of course. <laughs> By the way, Sweeby's now roaming around the room. I don't know if she's going to be able to be seen in camera frame, but if she is, that's just a little bonus. Yeah. A little treat. Yes. So listen, this is something that bothers me a lot, Stephen, and I, I ask myself this question. One, I think fundamentally the easiest answer is that we have a robust uh, protection against government impingement upon our speech. Now, it doesn't cover some things, obviously. It's not... Um, it's not um, absolute the right to free speech. Famously, you can't scream fire in a crowded theater and whatever else, and you can't incite violence. And But having said that, it bothers me a lot when the writing's on the wall. We witnessed what Donald Trump incited in the insurrection against the country on January 6, 2021, And we're witnessing him ramp up into that rhetoric right now on Truth Social in his now campaign stump speeches. And 
Everyone acts like this is just the normal way of going about business. Just because half the country, one, you know, doesn't mind it, doesn't mean something shouldn't be done. It doesn't mean that we should ignore it and the Justice Department shouldn't hold, or local authorities shouldn't hold him accountable for violent rhetoric. Mm -hmm. Well, not to toot our own horns or S our own Ds, as it were, but... (laughs) Uh, we do that on this show. I mean, we talk about how it is important to hold people accountable. And I mean, we're going to play a clip where the media is talking about Ron DeSantis and they are listing like these fascist elements of his goals and they call it culture war. And it's not culture war, it's fascism. And so, you know, I think that part of it is changing the language. Part of it is being critical of the media, critical of people in power that are not talking about things in the right way or as serious as they should be. And that's that's part of the problem. But, I mean, luckily everyone has us, you know what I right, mean, exactly to really talk right. about it oh, in the yes. right way. Fantastic. <laughs> way to shift it around. You know, I- I'm... I'm becoming tired of, troubled by, the phrase culture war. Because war indicates two sides are going at it. And really, they're starting all of the, these nonsense battles. This, the, the, these, I, I guess it's the only word to use, but there's no war on our side. If, if a war is wanting people to have equality and to be able to exist unmolested by, by another f- uh, fascist side of things, then I guess it's a war. But they act like we're foisting our way of life and our culture onto them. No, no, we're not. I mean, it's, you don't like if you see two gay dudes kiss in a movie. That's not putting anything on you. Gay people exist, assholes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's not an easy answer to your question, Stephen. It's just not. Yeah. But thank you very much for the email. We appreciate all listener communication. Please give us a call, 657-464-7609 or I doubt it at dollamore.com. We want to thank our Patreon supporters right now yes. because we could not do any of the growing that we are doing. We could not do any of the upcoming exciting interviews with people. We could not do any of this without our Patreon support. So we want to thank our patrons right now and our new Patreon supporters, Bill T. Bill T. Claudette M.R. Claudette M.R. Janelle. Janelle. And we want to give a special shout out to No E. No E. Or is it No or No E? I don't know. I don't know. But they could write in and correct us. Okay. And uh, that's for increasing the pledge. Yes. Increasing the pledge. Very nice. So if you join on Patreon, you get perks like an ad free version of the show. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. You get to, depending on your tier, join a monthly Zoom hangout with us where you get to chat with us and other supporters of the show, which we just had one for the month of February. It was a lot of fun. Good call. It's always on the last Saturday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern time. (laughs) Okay? That is the time and place of the call, unless otherwise stated. That is right. Unless something comes up. And so we're really grateful to the Patreon supporters. We did put a poll out because we want to start doing Patreon-only bonus content. We put a little survey up where the patrons could select what kind of bonus content they want to see the most. And surprisingly, for me, it was extra episodes hearing us talk about things that are not politics, like movies and TV shows. So that's that's cool. Somebody even said like a cooking show. Yeah, we got all kinds of... They were like, we're sick of hearing you talk about politics. Let's move on. Let's do a lifestyle show with Jesse and Brittany. I'm just happy that they're not sick of us talking... Period. Yeah. Like there's, that's when things are starting to go downhill. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So thank you. So thank you very much. We appreciate you very much. Um, absolutely. If you'd like to join the Patreon family, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. So before we move on, let's cover a little bit of follow up. Uh, we talked about the Scott Adams things. In fact, he was asshole of today on last episode. His racist diatribe saying that it's over. There's no use um, or reason any white person in America should try to help any black person in America. Uh, he called black people, black citizens of America as a whole, as a group, a hate group. 
just a, a, a rancid, ridiculous, sinister, racist diatribe. Let's also talk about, he is the Dilbert cartoonist. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's who he is. That's how he's well known. And what he was discussing was a poll result from Rasmussen Polls, which I think used to be considered like an acceptable poll outlet, although it leaned conservative, that has now kind of jumped the shark and is not at all. Just straight up Donald Trump promoter. Um, and, and this particular poll that he was referencing was whether or not black Americans agree with the statement, it's okay to be white. And that's kind of what set him over the edge is that some percentage of black Americans in this Rasmussen poll said that they do not agree with that statement. It's okay to be white. And what was completely missing from Scott Adams's conversation is context surrounding what the meaning of that phrase could be for a significant amount of black Americans, which is it's okay to be white is a phrase that is commonly associated with the white power movement. Yes. It is something that, that white supremacists say, it is something that white power activists say. And so for black Americans taking a survey, asking if they agree, is it okay to be white? They might be thinking the context in which that phrase is typically uttered, like out of a racist mouth. Yeah. And so is that going to be something that they endorse? No, they're not going to endorse that. But Scott Adams doesn't care about any of that. Right. Used it as an opportunity to advance his racist tirade. And as a result of his racist tirade, as you would expect in a civilized society, uh, he there were consequences doled out very quickly. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of papers dropped syndication of Dilbert. This past weekend was the last running uh, because of con- some contractual reasons that any any paper that I know of is they they dropped him just flat out. He's done. So now he's. On Twitter, and it's it's just bizarre. He's on Twitter saying he hasn't seen anyone disagree with him who knows the full context. But we played the full context here on the show. I played the full context on, on in a video on YouTube. We know the full context. It's just just nonsense that he's acting like nobody disagrees with him. Yeah, there is one person who disagrees. Elon Musk. If you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, uh, that's a hate group. That was the comment that may have ended Scott Adams's newspaper career. The Dilbert creator referencing a poll from the conservative firm Rasmussen Reports that indicated 53% of black Americans agree with the statement, it's okay to be white, leaving the other 47% to say they disagree or aren't sure. The Anti-Defamation League has noted that that phrase has a long history in the white supremacist movement. The best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. He continued to double down throughout his show. The Washington Post, Los Angeles Times and USA Today among the hundreds of newspapers that denounced Adams and quickly pulled Dilbert. USA Today newspaper CEO Mike Reed. It was frankly uh, an easy decision. We found the remarks, you know, hateful, hurtful. And, and they just cross the line. But not everyone agrees. Twitter CEO Elon Musk coming to Adams' defense, tweeting, the media is racist. Adams has since tweeted that he was only advising people to avoid hate and suggested that the cancellation of his cartoon signals that free speech in America is under assault. We believe in free speech. We believe in creating uh, a place for differing points of view. But there's a line that gets crossed where things become racism. And, and that's not a, an, an area we choose to, to traffic in or participate in. So, of course, as usual, I mean, it's very predictable. I've been consuming, again, a bunch of conservative garbage and uh, like Megan Kelly's channel. She had Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla on to talk about this. And it was very experts on racism. Two white dudes. Well, and it was very disappointing because, you know, I've talked a lot about my previous affinity for Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla when they were hosting Love Lion in the early 2000s. And I act decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I, anyway, they focused on like their response to Scott Adams. 
rather than the racist tirade that he went on. Yeah, they very, very delicately avoided, very obviously avoided making a judgment call about what he said. Yeah, it was like... And only focused on how people reacted. It was like an aside at the end of this 10-minute clip that, oh yeah, it's what he said is not great. Like, I don't know why he did this. You know, but in, in the context, they were talking about how he has long predicted his cancellation and it's like well when you when you are out there saying racist things and then you're like i'm gonna get canceled and then like you're out there saying racist things you're like i'm gonna get canceled it's like people after andrew tate got arrested for sexual assault saying well he predicted the matrix was coming after him it's like oh you mean the guy who's like allegedly committing sexual assaults and like keeps warning everyone hey someday i'm gonna get arrested for sexual assault because i'm because i'm allegedly doing it allegedly. <laughs> like oh i wonder how he was able to predict that he's gonna get busted for sexual assault allegedly because he's allegedly sexually <laughs> assaulting people that maybe has something to do with it one more a fucking allegedly and so this is the same situation with scott adams where you know you're saying racist things eventually there's going to be consequences but he's making it a free speech issue the government isn't coming after him right he is still on his youtube channel i'm yeah. assuming the free market spoke yeah. And they the, the market agreed, we don't want anything to do with you. Our business doesn't want to be associated with racism. Right. And we don't want to financially support a racist. There you go. It seems pretty easy. But of course, Elon Musk jumps in and that freedom of speech is under attack. No, it's not. According to like, you know, net worth, celebrity net worth, he's worth like $75 million. Scott Adams is going to be okay. Yes. Anyway, yeah, we'd love to know what you think about this or any other topic that's on your mind. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Since we're recording, it's very difficult because Sweepy is at my feet right now whining. I and know. I think it's that not, it's... It's unusual. Well, usually her bed's in here, but there's not as much room in here now. Yeah. I think you should write down the time and just say whining. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to delete all the whining. Okay. So Ron DeSantis it has not officially announced that he is, is running for president, yeah. but he's doing all the things and we know he's going to. It's just that he's waiting. And one of the things that he is doing, that was me, not Sweepy, <laughs> that you kicked under the table, um, he has announced a new book. And he's going to be going on a book tour. And in his book, he did talk about Donald Trump a bit. And uh, he also talked about the issues, I guess, that are important to him, really setting himself up uh, in, in the public as a presidential candidate to look out for. Ron DeSantis inching closer to a presidential bid. God bless you all. Making stops across the country, huddling with donors last weekend in Palm Beach, and launching a new book outlining a blueprint for America's revival. People would say, how'd you do it in Florida? The book marks a key step in defining DeSantis outside the Sunshine State, touting his controversial COVID response, proximity to former President Donald Trump, and culture clashes, including with Disney, officially stripping them of their special status in the state yesterday. Disney ran the show in this state for a long time uh, until I became governor. And we said, you know, we're going to side with the people of Florida. But just because he's not in the race yet doesn't mean other Republicans aren't anticipating the primary battle ahead. I like what he's done. I'm a Trump uh, supporter. Uh, He'll have to prove to me that he would be a better president than President Trump. Uh, Is that guy kidding? It's Tommy Tuberville. (laughs) Oh, is it? Mm Mm-hmm. I thought it was just some rando Floridian. Nope. Well, I'm a I'm a Donald Trump supporter. Is he kidding? It's like Sam Elliott talking here on the clip. Uh, well, he's gonna have to show himself. <laughs> if if elected, a new poll shows DeSantis trails Trump in the theoretical matchup, but sets the stage for an early two man race. DeSantis's book gives a fresh sense of how he could take on his main rival, which is to say, not directly, if at all. The book mentions Trump more than 100 times in 288 pages and showcases DeSantis as a steadfast ally, both in Congress and as Florida governor. At one point, calling Trump the most famous person to run for the GOP nomination since Dwight Eisenhower and saying that in 2016, Trump had 
almost instantly built a massive following and was now the man to beat in the primaries. He also parroted Trump's disdain for the media, calling investigations into alleged Russian collusion a media-driven hoax designed to cast doubt on the results of the 2016 presidential election and strangle the Trump presidency in the crib. It comes as others who once stuck by Trump are drawing their own indirect contrast with him, like former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley. I think we need to have a new generation. I think we have to leave the status quo. I think we have to leave the old issues behind. And Trump's former Veep, Mike Pence. Implicit in saying that you're considering running is the idea that you think you could be at least a different president, if not a better president, than your former boss. Can you delineate just one policy difference that you might have with him? Well, I think the times call for different leadership. And I'm confident we'll have better choices. Are you, and you're thinking my, about being one? Than my old running mate. Uh, come 2024. They all say the same thing when asked, what is one policy difference between you and Donald Trump? Yeah. No one ever just answers the question. No one ever says, Donald Trump is terrible. The part he's going to yeah. ruin the party. We're not going to be able to save the party because that's their concern. Yeah, but they can't say it. They're cowards. They refuse to be honest. It is. It's remarkable. First of all, I'm glad the media is asking that singular question to every single candidate. Name one thing that makes you different than Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, any person with any leadership ability whatsoever would say, "Well, you know, I'm not a prick." <laughs> I'm not abjectly anti-democratic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't advocated for terminating the Constitution of the United States of America. There are so many things they could say, yeah. and they choose none of them. Yeah, well, and the poll that they referenced in that clip is a Fox News poll from February 19th to 22nd, and Donald Trump was leading in that poll, 43%. Ron DeSantis was second, 28%. Nikki Haley in third with 7%. And Greg Abbott, 2% in the fourth place spot, tying with Liz Cheney. Wow. Well, that's that is not good for Greg Abbott (laughs) when Liz Cheney's in in the same breath as Greg Abbott, who is rabidly pro-Trump and the juxtaposition there being that she's rabidly anti. Yes. So without actually coming out and criticizing Donald Trump, the the candidates that are going to be running against him are trying to display how they are different. And Ron DeSantis is doing that in this clip with Mark Levin on Fox News. He recently gave an interview where he was asked specifically about all of the things that they're doing in Florida to prevent people, kids, from learning about the realities of the world. And this is how he defended himself. And then you were attacked by people who purposely twisted what you were saying, that you oppose allowing people to learn about African-American history. You want to clear that up? Sure. Well, uh, Florida, our standards require teaching all aspects of black history, and uh, we think it's important. We also, when we banned critical race theory, uh, which we were right to do, uh, we also required in that same bill that schools have stories of inspiration about great Floridians and great Americans from a variety of different backgrounds. I want students to, to be, to be uh, inspired that they can do well in Florida, you know, as they get old. Critical race theory is basically saying some are oppressors, some are oppressed. What kind of a message is that sending to these very young kids? So so we require all of that uh, in our standards in terms of the basic history. What the College Board was trying to do, they were trying to impose CRT. They actually were trying to impose, in a black studies course, queer theory. They were trying to impose intersectionality. And they were trying to impose effectively neo-Marxism. And so the question is, is if that's something you want to do on your own time, you know, you're free to go pursue that. But for our taxpayers to be supporting that type of indoctrination, that is not something that we want to do. We were the only. So this is going to be the new the new talking point, And I want people to be aware of it because I recently watched like a. 50 minute debate on Fox News with people who had different perspectives on I think it was critical race theory or home education. Oh, that's what it was. Homeschooling oh, was vice, and public education. Yeah. What did I say? I I, I, I don't know. Oh, I thought but I it, said it vice. wasn't vice. It wasn't vice? No, no. <laughs> 
you didn't say vice. Whatever you said, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound right. I think it was vice. Really? Okay, yeah. interesting. But um, now we're so far past it. It's been like eight seconds now, and I'm like a fucking goldfish, so I don't remember. <laughs> so... <laughs> In in that they were talk critical race theory came up and their their the conservative talking point was well critical race theory basically teaches black kids that that they are basically bound to be oppressed and that they can't really come up from the position that they've been born into and who wants to teach kids that and you hear that talking point coming through in what Ron DeSantis said that you, that critical race theory teaches that there are oppressors and there's the oppressed and how is that motivating i right. w- i want to teach about the the great black political figures who who did good so that i can teach kids that they can become good it's like no one is teaching black kids that they can't become good. You right. understand that that's happening, right? Well, of not only that, does. not only that, Ron DeSantis in 1961 would have been one of the people who was anti Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, right. when you look back on what the, the 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 polling data suggested was that white Americans, even in like 1963, when the March on Washington happened, August yeah. 1963, they were very much opposed no this is the not not the right way to protest they've got to do it a different way to get the rights and the freedom and the uh, equality that they demand right. but not this way the same shit we hear today so for all of these conservatives who act like um they revere martin luther king and and what he did it's just not the fucking way it's not the facts right at all right yeah, so look for Ron DeSantis to continue his his book tour, promoting his yeah. book. Can't- his book tour that just so happens to be in states like Iowa and New Hampshire, early primary states. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we see you, Ron DeSantis. We see you. Yes. And speaking of seeing Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and the fascist march and the usurpation of constitutional rights that have been, have been established for half of a century... The the assault on uh, abortion and abortion related pills continues in America. A lawsuit underway in this federal courthouse in Amarillo, Texas, could force the FDA to remove mifepristone from the market entirely. That would affect every state across the country, including those where abortion remains legal. We are living in a post-Roe America. The lawsuit was filed by an anti-abortion group represented by Denise Harley of the Christian Legal Advocacy Group, Alliance Defending Freedom. Harley claims the FDA's safety review of mifepristone was flawed. The FDA has one job, which is just to protect Americans from dangerous drugs. It's caused great harm to women and girls. It's extremely dangerous. And we're asking the court to um, remove that chemical drug regimen until and unless the FDA actually goes through the proper testing that it's required to do. Twelve leading medical organizations, including the American Medical Association and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, say these claims are untrue. Decades of research show the risk of major complications from taking abortion pills is less than 0.4 percent. They are safer than commonly used drugs like Tylenol or Viagra. At Whole Woman's Health, CEO Amy Hagstrom-Miller says medication abortion gives women more control over their health care. When you have medication abortion, part of the process happens at home. And a lot of people like that. They think it's less invasive. Um, It involves cramping and bleeding and passing of the pregnancy, very similar to a miscarriage. And people can be at home with their loved ones um, and can sort of schedule um, the passing of the pregnancy around their work schedule or their childcare schedule. But here in Texas, the lawsuit wants to put a stop to that. The Alliance Defending Freedom makes a number of claims, including that the FDA used the wrong process to approve the drug. The FDA also pushed the drugs through a certain special provision that's supposed to be only for treating illnesses and only for life-saving drugs. The regulatory process was not followed. In fact, Mifepristone's approval was investigated in 2008 by the Government Accountability Office, which found that the process was consistent with FDA regulations. It's hard to think of a drug that has been under more scrutiny than Mifepristone. I, Glenn Cohen, a Harvard Law School professor, is one of 19 FDA scholars who filed an amicus brief in support of the agency. We don't think there's a problem here statutorily 
or medically. But it'd be very dangerous to allow a single judge sitting in Amarillo to essentially order a drug that's used by many women in America off the market all of a sudden just because he believes a particular argument that's being made. But arguments unsupported by medical and legal consensus have found favor in Texas courtrooms. By filing its lawsuit in Amarillo, the Alliance Defending Freedom was almost guaranteed to draw Judge Senator Matthew Kaczmarek, a Trump appointee who worked in the conservative Christian legal movement. So this is this is another reminder of why it is so important to vote and yeah. vote for the right people. And we're going to be up against this in the 2024 election, I'm sure, where people are disillusioned with Biden, don't want to support him if it ends up being Biden and, and whichever Republican it's going to be. And this is what happens when you say, you know, I don't really like the Democratic candidate. I'm going to vote third party right. or I'm yeah, just yeah, going to yeah. sit this one out because what's happening here is that conservative groups do what's called forum shopping and they go around and they basically figure out where they can file uh, lawsuits to challenge democratic administration policies. And they have found that in Amarillo, Texas, this Trump judge is, is, is the only judge that is going to hear the arguments. And since he's a Trump appointee, he's a Trump judge. And a rabid Catholic, like a guy who's going to impose his particular religious worldview on the rest of America, whether or not they share that worldview or not. The the rulings that he it, he issues are yeah. going to have nationwide implications. Right. It's the same thing that happened um, roughly 10 years ago when the patent trolls were out in force. There was one particular court in one particular uh, district in Texas that was allowing these cases, and that's where they filed all of these cases. They find the friendly du- judge, in many cases, an unqualified asshole, and then that's who they, they go through. Right. And this yeah. could stop over half of legal abortions that are happening across the country, including uh, states that are led by Democrats where right. abortion rights are protected. So that's what's so scary about this. The other thing is, if you, this isn't even like straight up unwanted pregnancy abortion. It's not my time to have a baby. I want to have abortion. This is women who need a DNC. They need, um, because they're miscarrying, they're not allowed to have that procedure either. That's happening all over the country, putting women's life in jeopardy in very real danger. Yeah. And conservatives don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, let's also talk about another important issue where SNAP benefits are going to be ending for millions of people. SNAP, of course, the the supplemental nutrition assistance program. Assistance program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Food, Food stamps. stamps. <laughs> what is happening right now? Stop it. <laughs> wow. Unplanned. Well, listen. No, we rehearsed that many times. Brittany and I are both intimately familiar with food stamps. We we grew up as poor children. With the benefit of food stamps, who knows where we would be individually or collectively hadn't we had that hand up from the government, that that ability to eat and be healthy and be nourished. I mean, it's such a basic fucking thing that conservative uh, ghouls want to take away. Not This isn't about oh, lazy adults who don't want to work. This is about children, oftentimes, who don't get the nutrition that is so gravely needed just for fucking survival. Yes, and right now it's because a, a pandemic-era protection is expiring, which means millions of people are going to be losing some of their benefits. First, the expiration of pandemic SNAP benefits as of Wednesday, which will affect 30 million Americans. Rachel Scott is at the White House with the details. Good morning, Rachel. Hey, George, good morning. And many Americans who rely on these programs tell us the reality is it will be harder for them to put food on the table. In just a few days, nearly 30 million Americans will lose additional support from the federal government to help them buy groceries. This is a program that was put in place during the pandemic, giving low-income Americans who rely on food stamps additional aid to help them buy groceries. It was only meant to be temporary. It's now set to expire on March 1st. Just to put this into perspective, that 
that means for the average family that relies on these benefits, they will be losing $95 a month. Others could lose even more, up to $250. 18 states across the country have already expired these benefits, including in states like Georgia, where food pantries tell us they have seen the lines get longer. They've seen visits to their food pantries increase since these benefits have expired. At this point, though, this will be the reality for nearly 30 million Americans. And of course, all of this comes at a time where we are dealing with record high inflation. The cost of groceries have gone up. Just take the price of eggs, for example, now costing Americans $4.82. That's more than double what it was a year ago, George. So again, it doesn't have to be this way. Something that we talk about a lot is that poverty is a policy choice. And and by that, we mean that through effective policy, we can eliminate poverty. We can eliminate child hunger through effective policy. And when you make it difficult for people to access SNAP benefits, when you put work requirements in place for SNAP benefits, or when you have, you know, like you have here with the pandemic um, era benefits expiring, then people are going to suffer for it. And $95 a month on average is what people are going to be losing. That is a lot of food. That is yeah. several different meals that, that can carry people very far, $95. And it's it's going to hurt families. It's going to hurt people. It's it's very, very upsetting. Well, and, and, and there needs to be action on the part of Democrats to make sure that people are are not falling through the cracks. I mean... Just because the pandemic is quote unquote over doesn't mean that the lasting impacts and ramifications of the pandemic aren't being felt Right through inflation, the supply chain difficulties. All of this is still making life difficult, especially for the people who are bearing the, the, the most brunt of it. And that's poor people. So, you know, this is all on Democrats because you can't expect Republicans to be doing the right thing here. It's on Democrats to put something in place here to make sure people aren't going to be harmed by this. Yeah. So we have a new segment we want to introduce for the very first time. How exciting. We don't have a bumper for it because it's so new, (laughs) but we're going to call this segment Good News, Bad News. Yes. Oftentimes on the show, especially now that Brittany Page is in charge of production, she's in charge of planning the shows and putting the clips together, doing all the things that I used to do. So great that I don't have to fucking do that. Um... She, 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 you just explain that you, 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 you read, you read, you, you watch. Do you, do you, wa- do, do you want me to explain? Please okay. save me. So I oftentimes will have a particular story in mind that I want to cover. And because we use clips a lot on the show, I will go and I will listen to that story be covered by several different outlets and determine which outlet I feel is covering it in the most effective, reasonable factual way and of course I have my own biases so some of that could play a role too but there are some examples where I listen to something and I'm like wow this is garbage and there are sometimes <laughs> I listen to it and I'm like wow that, that's really good that's a good balanced way to approach this wow that's not garbage yeah and let me let me before I I get into the actual clips for this segment which is going to be about the Supreme Court hearing Joe Biden's student debt relief plan arguments I put all of the words in the wrong place in that sentence, but everyone will get it figured out. Okay, so I was listening to a clip from, I think it was CBS a few days ago, and it was about this this unhoused man who had been taken in by two people because he got diagnosed with cancer and he he needed help through his treatment. And in this clip... You know, you're you're listening to the story. You're like, wow, this is really kind of these people to do this. This is so nice. Yeah, it almost made taking care of biz, right? Yeah, I thought it, I was like, oh, this is a, seems like a strong candidate for taking care of biz. Until another segment <laughs> for those of you who just joined the podcast. Yeah, until the the unhoused man started saying, like, I'm not like other homeless people. Like, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Yeah, I'm one of the good ones. Yeah, and like they really focused on that in the reporting which was a choice right because yeah, sure. this was like an eight minute clip i'm sure they spent all kinds of time with him they didn't need to put that in but they did that was a choice that they made because it makes him look even more sympathetic to the viewer right yeah. he's easier to 
want to help. That's right? more palatable for your average viewer. Oh, he's not one of those dirty, scary homeless people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it just kind of continued and I, I quit playing it. I'm like, eh, I'm not I'm not dealing with this. But then this is where we got the idea because we started listening to clips about the the Joe Biden Supreme Court student debt relief. And we heard two versions and you were in the background while I was getting the clip and you started yelling. <laughs> This happens a lot, by the way. You're like, what is, what is, what is going on with that tone? Why is she saying it like that? Yeah, yeah. And you just started. Now I remember what what we're covering here. Yes. (laughs) And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna play the good package first, as we always will. Good news, bad news. And this is gonna be from NBC. And what you're what you're listening for here, since this is the good one, (laughs) of why it might be good. And how it could possibly go wrong when reporting on this story. Hey, good morning, guys. The plan here is pretty sweeping. It would wipe out up to ten grand in debt for people who make under $125,000. And would also cut out about another ten grand for people who use Pell Grants uh, to get to college for lower-income families. Now, the plan was almost immediately blocked in the lower courts. That's why it's here at the Supreme Court today. The case is about to take up um, oral arguments at around 10 o'clock, guys. And, Laura, I literally saw you yesterday, highlighter in hand studying the many arguments here. So can you break that down for us? The Supreme Court is hearing two different challenges to Biden's plan. What are the arguments? The highlighter is back. It never leaves my side. The White House says this is essentially needed to help fend off um, default for people who are struggling the most since the pandemic. And they point to a part of federal law that authorizes the Secretary of Education to make plans to make changes to student loan programs in times of national emergency like a pandemic. But the challenge here say no it needs explicit congressional authorization that this was abuse of power and essentially it's just the president trying to fulfill a campaign pledge that he knows he can't get done through normal channels of legislation guys and laura i feel like you probably travel with like a dozen highlighters so what are some of the issues the justices will highlight will likely be focused on during today's hearing and when can we expect then a decision one thing i'm watching for the justices to do today is to really zero in on this question of whether the challengers actually have have the legal ability to sue. In order to get into federal court, you actually have to be harmed in some way. And here, two of the borrowers say they actually think that the program should be expanded. They weren't eligible for the program because one of them had private loans. Another one just hadn't uh, had a Pell Grant to get into college. And so he didn't get that extra 10 grand. So expect the justices to say, how exactly were you harmed here by a program that would benefit millions? Now, of course, they may reach the merits, but they don't have to. And the Biden administration is, of course, hoping that they don't, guys. All right, Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. So you you did have balance there. Of course, we're showing our own bias in terms of the focus largely was on the benefits of student loan forgiveness and the arguments that the Biden administration is going to be using to back up why this program is valid. But there were still, here's what the the opposing argument is going to be against the Biden administration. And there wasn't really a lot of, you couldn't tell, for example, like where that reporter stood. It was just the facts. Yeah. Even that she's covering that people she didn't even call them assholes these assholes were like well i didn't get a pell grant i got boxed out of that other ten thousand. uh you know i mean she could have really laid it on thick but she didn't she went straight down the middle and reported the facts yeah so you don't know where you don't know where she stands now we're going to juxtapose that with this report from cbs news now that was nbc news now this is going to be cbs news and and see if you can maybe determine how this person feels about student loan forgiveness. Well, good morning, Tony. You know, this is one of the bigger cases this term. It's another clash between Republicans and President Biden, who made it a campaign promise to address student loan debt. But the question is whether he went about it the right way or whether on an issue this big involving nearly half a trillion dollars that Congress has to sign off. Now, under the plan, up to 43 million people would be eligible for some student loan debt relief. People making less than $125,000 a year could see $10,000 
and debt forgiven, and people who got Pell Grants could get up to $20,000 forgiven. The Congressional Budget Office says the program will cost more than $430 billion. After President Biden announced the plan last August, 26 million people applied before lower courts put it all on hold. Now, today, the justices will hear two different challenges. One is by six Republican-led states who say the program will cost them money. And in court papers, they say it's a, quote, breathtaking and transformative exercise of power. The other case is by two students who say the program should do more to relieve student debt. Now, the president himself initially insisted this was an issue for Congress and that he couldn't do it alone. But when Congress failed to act, he had a change of heart. And today, his lawyer will argue that federal law does grant him that power. It is unclear when the justices will rule on this, uh, but we expect a decision at some point by the end of June. So I think it's it's more subtle listening to it now. I was just going to say the differences are subtle, but there's definitely she's putting a lot of stank on certain words. That I think is the key. And then also there there's kind of the the weight is a little bit uneven in terms of the arguments that she presented as being against yeah. the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness policy. Like if you if you made a tick mark every time that she noted what what the arguments against doing student loan forgiveness are that would outweigh yeah the benefits that she talked about what bothered me so much was the tone nearly half a trillion dollars. i mean what is she me trying to sway an audience you're that's not her job yeah she's not a commentator she's a reporter if she needs to give the number give the exact number don't say nearly half a trillion, $430 billion, 23 million people applied for the program. Some people think it's a breathtaking <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I mean, come on. It's like a, uh, it's too much. a movie trailer. In a world. Yeah. <laughs> in a world where Joe Biden goes crazy with power <laughs> in a breathtaking abuse of his office. Oh, my God. So I'm... People are listening to this. They're like, you guys, this is really a, a good segment idea, but this is not the best example. And you might be right. Okay. But trust us, it's going to get better because these happen all the time. And sure, we may be a little biased on this issue. Because I think, listen, I think this is a good example. Yes. I do want my student loans forgiven. You, you also, that, that would be nice. <laughs> I mean, we, be can cover, we can cover the issue on its face another time. But absolutely, it is not unfair to forgive student loan debt for people who had to go into hawk just to go to school. It's the same thing about uh, that people say, like people who want um, this argument. God, I am fucking terrible today. Um, it would be like someone saying, well, I didn't have a polio vaccine when I grew up. Why should they have a polio vaccine? Why should they have it easier than we had it when I grew up? Yeah. It's a nonsense argument. People are unable to enter the workforce or unable to get a, a head up. They're unable to buy a home. They're unable to start a business. They're unable to be a fully functioning contributor to our society and our economy because they're drowning in debt, servicing this debt, which, by the way, doesn't aid the economy. I guess we are getting into it. I know, it. I was going to say, I it guess we won't. It doesn't aid the fucking economy. It's service on the interest on this fucking debt. It's not buying a home and then, anyway, yes. Yeah, but, yes. I mean, have you considered that everyone should be unhappy as my Uncle Joe? <laughs> I don't have an Uncle Joe, but. Yeah, it's. it's. I it's, mean, that's the point, right? Is people are like, listen, my life has been hard and I want other people to have hard lives yeah that's what it is that's what it is instead of being like you know i've had a hard life i know that that is terrible i i know what it is to suffer and i don't want that for other people yeah. i want other people's lives to be easier i mean what is so hard about that just basic empathy how can we basic decency how can we encourage that kind of thinking in people because that would be nice speaking of encouraging good types of thinking let's move on to the next story eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company has made a, uh, a huge announcement. Now, we're going to shit on the announcement, or <laughs> let, me, let me speak for myself. Please do. I will shit on not the announcement, but the motivation behind it. It involves putting a cap, a monthly cap, on insulin 
for diabetics. We're back now with some breaking news in the medical world. Drug maker Eli Lilly says it will cap out-of-pocket costs for insulin at $35 a month. Those who are paying without insurance will need to apply for the company's copay assistance program in order to be eligible for the price. More drug companies are facing pressure to drastically reduce the price of insulin. Eli Lilly CEO David Ricks had this to say about the announcement. While we uh, could wait for Congress to act or the healthcare system in general uh, to apply that standard. We're just applying it ourselves. Lily's going to buy down all of our customers' out-of-pocket costs to $35 at the pharmacy counter automatically. But we're calling today on our partners in the insurance industry, government policymakers, employers who set the policy for their own insurance to match this this um, this new effort to reduce the cost to no more than $35 a month for insulin for all Americans. Experts are hoping the move will get other companies to lower their prices as well. This is, one, very good for Americans. Fantastic. Awesome. Yes. But let's not break our arms patting Eli Lilly on the fucking back as this is some kind of altruistic move. Even his language makes me want to choke him. We're we're just we're just applying it ourselves and we encourage all of our all of our competition to do the same thing because we don't want them making more money than we make. And then he says, we're going to buy down their, their, their monthly expense on this, their monthly out-of-pocket expense on this. You're not buying down anything. You're just charging less for the product that doesn't cost that much. You're still going to make a profit off of this, you fucking ghoul. Well, also, it's kind of <sighs> it's convenient timing because I think the trolling of them happened in November. Yeah, when Elon Musk made the blue checkmark you could buy you it could for buy eight it. dials. Yeah, and then yeah. everybody, or one person specifically, made an Eli Lilly account, had a check mark, and said, insulin is free now. Mm-hmm. And they lost like billions of dollars in market cap or value on their stock because of it. Yeah, and so there's a lot of attention on them right now. And I'm sure that that feels uncomfortable, particularly when you're talking about a life-saving medication that so many people need to survive Yeah, that is not at all reasonably priced and, in fact, is priced out of range for most people. In a survival situation. Yes. Well, here's the thing I think is happening here that's that's really poignant is they're getting ahead of the government on regulating this. I think that it's probably that they they see the writing on the wall. They know that it's inevitable eventually uh, in the short or medium term for Congress to step in and uh, dictate to them, to mandate to them a, a price cap. And they want to do that before because once Congress gets a taste for their power being able to do this, they're going to do other drugs too. And if not, Eli Lilly just staved off a little bit. They'll make less money on this drug, but then they're going to, you know, they'll make up the difference somewhere. Trust me. Yeah. These people are, you know, not great. We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we would love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. All-terrain Georgia. All-terrain Georgia. All-terrain Georgia. no idea what this story is. It is an initiative that is introducing a fleet of wheelchairs that are specifically designed to navigate terrain that is rugged. So wheelchairs that allow people who need them to be able to go out into the wilderness to explore, to like join their families on hikes and things like that. So all terrain Georgia is taking care of is a walk in the woods in search of nature's glory, fresh air, a light wintry breeze. The sun's warmth seems so simple, but not for Mario Sanchez. Who's now 41. Since he was two, muscular dystrophy has been telling him no. When you're going down a hill or up a hill, you want to make sure you're down to a one or a two. Okay. 
That's about to change with this motorized all-terrain wheelchair, part of a new Georgia program championed by Amy Copeland. Clean, fresh air, sunlight. It is a game changer. It's a life changer. After a 2012 ziplining accident gassed her calf, Copeland contracted a freak flesh-eating bacterial infection. To save her life, doctors amputated both her hands, her right foot, and her entire left leg. Someone so active, no longer able to walk. She was 24. I gave myself a nice pity party. I can only do that for so long. You were thinking, this is not the way I'm going to spend my life. As sad as I was, I can only be sad that long before I get very bored and realize that I need to be outside. Her foundation pushed the state for years to allow these all-terrain wheelchairs to create moments like this. It is a freeing experience being out in the middle of the woods with the sun on your face and the breeze and the trees and the birds. Melanie Dunn, a double amputee and assistant director at Culpin's Foundation, says the response to all-terrain Georgia has been phenomenal. Just imagine that you can never walk again, and that's what it's like to be in a wheelchair. And the person that is in this chair all of a sudden is just blown away. On the edge of Georgia's Sweetwater Creek State Park, just west of Atlanta, Mario Sanchez heads out for a family outing. Into the woods we go. The park's path has uneven terrain. Rocks, branches, occasional standing water. For him, all the usual deal breakers. I'll put it up to three. But Sanchez suddenly is a half mile deep in the woods, immersed in its wonder. That's so cool. It really handles good. For the first time in his life. It's a blast. It really is. Liberating? Very, very liberating. Just to be able to go out with them and not have to think about, you know, is is there pavement or what am I going to do while you guys are out hiking or whatever. A family first, too. I mean, it sounds like it was a kick for him, but it's a kick for you to watch him. It never occurred to me we would be here doing this. Like, it's so cool. The program's available in 11 Georgia state parks and wildlife preserves, and it's free. Introducing nature to some, reconnecting nature to others. First time I got in one of these chairs, it was like running again. It was a feeling like I can't explain. It's like they've entered another dimension. They've gone through a portal to peace and serenity and beauty and awe and discovery. Sanchez found himself on a path he had never traveled. What a difference. That's cool. For CBS Mornings, Mark Strassman, Lithia Springs, Georgia. So CBS was bad news earlier, but this is a good news example from CBS. So it means you can do something right sometimes. Well, it's also not just based on the outlet. I mean, obviously, Fox News is going to fuck it up 99.9% of the time. But, you know, that that other segment's going to be great for that, to talk about that not every time they're going to get it right. It might just depend on that particular journalist. It's I want to get back to talk about this story, but it's also so often people say, Oh, CNN is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm even guilty of that when there are solid reporters that if you follow them, you're going to be getting banger information right. where it's more rare with Fox News, especially now. But years ago, mm-hmm. they had a few that were that were standouts who actually did good reporting. Yeah. So I, I love this story for Taking Care of Biz because... You know, it wasn't until, and I know this is going to sound wild, but I was very ignorant about the way the world was set up and how it really interferes with those who have impaired mobility and and their ability to get around and navigate the world. And it wasn't until I watched Crip Camp, which was a documentary on Netflix that came out a few years ago, that it really made it clear how how terrible our society has been for making things accessible for people that yeah, have yeah, yeah. that have impaired mobility and this is a great example you know and it's not something that you would think about of how trails are not accessible for everybody but that they should be because what what a value and allowing people to be with their families and to have them do activities with their families it's so crucial especially when and and i think the reason i was ignorant of of the ways that our society isn't set up for people that have impaired mobility is because I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so I don't think about it. But it could happen to any of us. I mean, you heard that story about the the woman who went ziplining 
And then her life changed. You know, I mean, you can be in an accident and then your life has changed and then you are totally aware yeah. of how this world is not set up for you. It's a good exercise in empathy to be able to like, imagine how much outdoors means to you. It might not mean something to you, but many of you out there, it's going to mean a lot to you being able to go hiking or on trails or just in a park to go up to the water's edge where there's a lake or a pond. Right. Little things like that we absolutely take for granted. Yes. And it's wonderful that these people are now able to take part in that with their loved ones, with their families, to do things that so many of us don't even fucking give a second thought about. Yeah. It is transformative for their life, for their relationships. There's so many things that you don't even think are going to be impacted that are going to be impacted by this. So absolutely... All-terrain Georgia taking care of biz. Yes. We are going to leave you there. We would uh, ask two things of you. One, if you haven't subscribed to the show, subscribe to the show. Mm -hmm. If you found yourself here having not subscribed, (laughs) do it. And also, (laughs) uh, consider supporting the show on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. Pick your tier, see what's involved, and see if we bring you enough value to uh, support the show with $2 a month or $5 a month, every bit goes a long way toward keeping the lights on and um, furthering, allowing us to continue the mission of the show of moving the conversation forward and now growing, I hope, in an exponential way with when we're having members of Congress and other people on the show for the YouTube audience. So if you're a regular podcast listener, you can go to my YouTube channel. This episode will be there. Um, I'm hoping, uh, barring any technical insanity, (laughs) I say it now, uh, but we'd love to see you there. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.